Hey there, workplace warriors. If you are looking to build profitable, lifelong relationships, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Do This, Sell More podcast, where you can make more money than you ever imagined and still get home in time for dinner. Don't miss out on expert tips and strategies from best-selling author Dave Lorenzo and his high-performing guests. The formula is easy. Listen and take action. In other words, do this, sell more. Now, here's your host, the master of relationship sales strategy himself, Dave Lorenzo. Welcome to another edition of the Sell More Show. My name is Dave Lorenzo. I'm the host of the show. I'm also here for you to give you the greatest and latest sales strategy to help you grow your business. So today, we have something really special for you. Today is an episode of the show that we recorded live in a room with some of my clients. Now, we're talking about developing a marketing plan for the upcoming year, and we're specifically focused on how you can target clients who are like your ideal client. And I think you're going to find this conversation highly productive. There's a great deal of back and forth. So I need you to listen carefully because some of the audio may be a little bit lower, specifically the back and forth on how to target your ideal client list of 10 prospects. This is because, unfortunately, the mic placement couldn't cover everybody in the room. We had a handful of people who are out of the earshot of the mic. So listen carefully, but the value you're going to receive from our time together is amazing. Keep in mind that if you ever need any additional information or you want some clarification on some of the things you hear today on the Do This Sell More show, you can reach out to me. My phone number is 888-444-5150. That's 888-444-5150. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy how to target your ideal clients for your marketing plan on this episode of the Do This Sell More show. Let's talk about a marketing plan. Uh, we're going to talk about three different categories when it comes to your marketing plan. All right. The first category, and you can make three columns or you can, you know, you can do it however you like. But I do it on a, on a three column spreadsheet when I do mine. And when I do a workshop with my clients, we usually do a three column spreadsheet. The first column is visibility. The second column is credibility. And the third column is differentiation. And when it comes to your marketing plan for your individual business, you need to think about right now who your ideal clients are for next year. And that's the target that I want you to have in mind for growth. If you shoot for more clients like your ideal client, you're, you're, you're much more likely to be happy with the type of business you get. If you shoot for just anyone, so if you take the broad category of real estate and you just shoot for anybody in real estate and you say, well, because we're a full service firm, we can do everything, you're a lot of times not going to be happy with the quality of client that you get. And I'm sure you will agree that there's nothing worse than a success you can't stand because you're trapped, right? You got a great client, the client pays, but the work is terrible awful, right? I'd much rather see you do work that you love and get a great rate and, you know, you'll be more enthusiastic and you'll get more of it. So the, the thing that I want you to start with when it comes to developing this plan 
is I want you to think of who your ideal client is right now. Who's the perfect client that you have? Who's the ideal client on your on your current client roster right now? And then think about what qualities, what characteristics they have, and think about how you're going to target that ideal client. And then we'll talk about how visibility, credibility, and differentiation come into play. Okay? Now, when it comes to marketing plans specifically, I always want you to make a list. I want you to do as much research as you can to make a list of 10 clients who you say, if I could pick any developer, any real estate owner, um, you know, any financial institution, I would pick these 10 to be my ideal clients. And then separate and apart from anything else we do, I want you to do, I want you to spend 15%, 10 to 15% of your time doing deep research into those clients and trying to connect with people who work in those organizations by any means necessary. So you got ten, a list of 10 businesses that are your ideal clients. And let's take something outside of the realm of where you work now as an example. Let's take like Microsoft, okay? Let's say you wanted to work with Microsoft. And you go home tonight and you sit down with your family and you say, guess what, next year I'm gonna try and get Microsoft as a client. Everybody goes, ha, how are you gonna do that, right? Well, the bigger they are, the easier it is for you to get into people who can, in, uh, who can introduce you to folks who are decision makers. It's the smaller, closely held organizations that can be very, very difficult. So from the Microsoft perspective, if you wanted to find out information about Microsoft so that you could get in to do work with them, what would you do? What would be the, what would be the first thing that you did to get in there? Microsoft? Yeah. Go to the website, see who, who the contact people are there, the officers. That's definitely valuable, absolutely. Going to the website and finding out who the officers are, it's valuable. You could call them and say, hey, listen, you need to know me, right? Or I have something of value to provide you. I, I, I think that's a great opportunity, and I would do that via, let's say, like direct mail by uh, sending direct mail. I would send a piece of direct mail to that to those officers once a month, highlighting an issue that you know that they're concerned about because you read about it uh, online or you know you saw something in the 10k that was a, a huge priority to them that's you definitely should do that I completely agree and that 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 is probably um, that's like swinging for the home run right that's the that's the Gary Sanchez approach right where you're swinging from your heels every time I would first look to see if I know anyone I think that's a good place to start. Right. Right. Figure out if it's someone that I should reach out to directly. Right. Or through kind of just described. Yeah. But I feel that personal introduction is always better in so what you're describing, I would say, is kind of the DJ LeMayu approach, right? You're going to hit a signal or a double, right? And you're going to go in with somebody that you know, and you're going to sit down and have lunch with them or have breakfast with them and say, listen, I want Microsoft to be my client. 
what do I need to know about your company? What are you focused on? What are you focusing on this year? What are some of your big priorities? Who are some of the people that are involved in making decisions related to real estate in, uh, in the company here in New York? Um, you know, are there any opportunities for me to network with people so that I can educate myself on how I can best provide value to Microsoft here in New York? What you'll find is there are whole like little hives of activity that you didn't know about in some of these organizations. And those things may become interesting to you or you or the firm may have expertise in some of those areas that you didn't even know about, right? My focus would, would be in looking at the people that you know or the people that are connected to them, there is nobody who would not be valuable to you in an early stage to connect with because even if they just give you information that you don't have, now you can speak their language when you get to the more senior people. But to Brad's point, you also have to take an approach where you're shooting for the top, and the reason is because... God forbid you get a meeting with somebody who's a senior person and you don't know anything about the organization or you don't speak their language or you don't know what's going on. I started working uh, in consulting and my focus was on retail. And I didn't know very much about retail other than I had shopped in stores. Well, there was a, a huge opportunity in, uh, retail, in the retail segment that targeted women, both women's wear and jewelry, and I wanted to exploit that. It ha so happened that my sister, at the time, she still does, but she worked in retail. She was a buyer, and I took two weeks, and I just went with her uh, out in the market, and I learned everything I could about products and sourcing and pricing. And then I asked her to connect me with some of the people who did analytics work in her company so I could learn about analytics. And I learned all about comps and same-store sales and how success is measured in retail. When I finally got a meeting with retail executives, mid-level retail executives, they were, I, I was able to understand what they were saying and they were under the impression that I had worked in retail my whole life, not because I represented myself as that, but because I was able to speak their language to them. So the due diligence of meeting people at the ground level or a mid-level in an organization is important at the beginning so that you understand their language, okay? Then you got to target. You got to target the people who would actually make the decisions to bring you in. In your case, it may be general counsel, or it may be the person who's in charge of, um, you know, in charge of the development deals and needs needs somebody to advise them or to do the paper on the deal. Now, the way to target those folks. Twofold. I would uh, I would take a, a direct approach as long as. It's permissible under the bar rules, right? I don't want you to break any bar rules, but direct approach is, uh, is along the lines of sending educational material to them in an area that they, uh, that they are either focused on or should be focused on. And direct mail is phenomenal for this. I know people laugh at me when I say sending something through the mail. People read their mail, especially if it comes from a lawyer. Right? You know, only broke people throw away mail that comes from lawyers, right? Because they, they got no money to defend themselves anyway. But people read their mail when it comes from a lawyer. So if you're sending out educational information to them, that's, that's valuable. All right? Now let's talk about the three aspects that I mentioned earlier. 
let's talk about visibility, credibility, and differentiation. So you've got your ideal target or targets in mind. And your targets may be across different segments. So you may be targeting one company because they have a need for transactional work. You may be targeting another company because they have a lot of tax issues that you can help or the firm can help with their tax exposure. And then the third company you may be targeting because they have litigation needs that come up from time to time. Now, you're saying to yourself right now, but Dave, I'm a litigator. Why would I target people who have tax issues? Or I'm a litigator. Why would I target people who have transactional issues? You have to enter the company where they're vulnerable. You don't enter, enter a company based on your strengths. Okay? Because you could be waiting forever. So you have to diagnose where the company's needs are. Now, you may think that the company needs your services, and they may very well need your services. But if they don't have a recognition of that need, there's no opportunity for you there. If they've admitted that they have a vulnerability in, their, in the tax structure of their, of their entities, then you go in with your tax folks and help them with that problem. It's a trying time that challenges all of our basic assumptions. However, one thing that brings us all together is our common humanity. Now more than ever, teams must come together and work together to solve big challenges. And Trello is here to help. Trello, part of Atlassian's collaborative suite, is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format. Plus, tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Teams of all shapes and sizes and companies like Google, Fender, and even Costco all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. With Trello, you can work with your team wherever you are, whether it's at home or in an office. No matter what device you're using, computer, tablet, or phone, Trello syncs across all of them, so you can stay up to date on all the things your team cares about. Keep your workflow going from wherever you are with Trello. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T-R-E-L-L-O dot com. Trello dot com. If they're being sued for something that you can help with or they have a weakness in an area that you can help with from a litigation perspective, then you go in with the litigators. You have to enter. I can't stress this enough because this is a big blind spot for all professionals, not just lawyers, but all professionals. We have a hammer and we want to go look for nails. Right. But it just so happens that the world is full of screws, nuts and bolts. OK, so your hammer is useless for those people. Right. But you guys, because you're in a firm, you have a toolbox so you can solve a lot of problems. So determining where you can be of service is critical and then entering the company where, where they need the help is the second aspect of that. OK. So, you got your list of 10, but that 10, I told you, is probably 15 or 20% of the time, all right? And we can, we can go back to targeting the list of 10, and some of you, that list of 10 may be relatively accessible to you because you have some, some exposure and some notoriety in a specific area, so you may just want to focus on the list of 10, and that's okay with me. But if you want to also go out to the market and surface activity that exists and you don't know who the specific people are, visibility is critical. So there are, there are two really good visibility tools that you have at your, at your disposal, okay? And those two tools are speaking and publishing. Those are the two biggest visibility tools because they employ leverage. 
You know, you can increase your visibility through networking, but there's no leverage in that. That's a lot of work for you. But to increase your visibility, speaking and publishing are the two ways to go. And when it comes to speaking, there are probably more opportunities than you've thought of. Um, you just have to you just have to let people know that you're available to do it. And the way to do that is in everything that you do. If you're if you're writing an article and it's published on LinkedIn, or you've written an article and it's published on the firm's website, it should have your name and it should say you're available to deliver talks to uh, to anyone in the real estate community within this radius. Um, you know, uh, some uh, some speeches will be done on a pro bono basis is a good phrase to put in there, and then um, you know, uh, Mr. Silverbush is also available to deliver talks on a nationwide basis, um, you know, for, uh, for his uh, speaking fee structure contact, and then I would put the marketing department's contact information in there, okay? So you'll do pro bono within a 50-mile radius of New York City for certain clients, and then you'll do national talks uh, for a fee, and then for those, they, they contact the marketing department. But you just—I would put that in every line, and I put that line in every bio, everywhere your bio is published. Okay. Now, publishing offers opportunities if you get to if you get people with distribution in your market niche to publish for you, and you guys are really good at that. You have a you have a whole PR department here who will publish those articles for you. I would target uh, publications uh, that are focused on the area that that you think has the biggest opportunity. Okay, you could write three different articles in, on three different topics and target those specific market segments if you wanted to do it. So what I would do, if I was a litigator, I would write an article with a transactional person, and I would target um, you know a mar one market with the article with a transactional person. I would do another article with a tax person and target, uh, target a different market with that, and I would do a third on my own specific to litigation. Because what we find is people write about what they know about most often, and that's great, you'll get work from that, but why not spread it out across you know, all, of the, all of the areas of opportunity, okay? And I would also send those articles. Everything you do gets sent to your current clients, it gets sent to your referral sources, it gets sent to the people that you know uh, at a distance who may or may not be clients or referral sources down the road. You know, people who, are, who you're friendly with outside of work, who are in business somewhere, you don't know exactly what they do, but they may need a lawyer at some point, so I would send it to them as well. Okay, it gets posted on the firm's website. All right, so from a visibility standpoint, those are the two ways to employ le the best leverage. Also, from a visibility standpoint, I would take those articles and I would, whether you do it yourself or you have the firm do it for you, I would put them on social media at least once a month. Same article over and over again, at least once a month on social media. The more content you create, the more opportunities you have. So if you're doing a dozen articles a month, I mean, let's say you had time and you could do a dozen articles a month, you could conceivably put three a week up just over and over again. Because the, the organic reach is going to be maybe 15, 20 people unless you hit on a big topic. So different 20 people will see it each time. And I would send them out via direct mail too. You could send them out via direct mail with a letter, you know, a form letter that just says, 
Uh, I know you're interested in this topic. I wanted to share it with you. Please give me a call if, uh, if you'd like more information. Um, another thing that I do is when I, when I write articles like that, I take my list of 10 companies and I have maybe five or six people in each company. I handwrite a post-it note. Joe, thought you might want to see this. Let me know if you have any questions. Dave and I put my phone number on the post-it note. Just put it right on top of the article, put it in an envelope, and it goes out. And I get better response from the post-it note with the article than I do generally from a, from a mass mailing. Okay? This time of year, if you're writing about something that will be included in their budget for next year, it gets, it'll get a lot of traction because this is the time of year when companies who are on a calendar year cycle do their budgets. So if you're talking about, you know, if, if you're talking about saving them money on their legal services, this would be the time to send out a letter. Mass market leverage visibility is publishing and, um, and speaking, all right? Uh, within, your, within your companies, your target group, here, here's something that that I'll that I'll share with you that is um, that is really uh, it's a phenomenon that until you experience it you really don't fully appreciate it. If you go three or four months sending a specific person information, ed good educational information, uh, once each month, you know, or twice each month, or six months once each month. When you finally meet with them, two things will happen. They will definitely believe you're an expert and they will feel like they know you. And both of those things are good for business. Dave, allow, allow me to play devil's advocate. Of course. Okay. Here is the problem that I see for myself. Please. Okay. First of all, I'm identifying 10 companies. I probably don't know anybody in any of these 10 companies. Okay. And just the act of identifying 10 is, is somewhat daunting because I don't know, we don't see who the firm's clients are. So I don't even know for certain if there's a client out there that Alex might already be representing or Brett might already. How do you do a conflict check then? It's done through our, our software. So okay, all right. But I mean, it, and that's what I would have to do, okay? Um, and I guess there should be some sort of cross-referencing to make sure he's not going after somebody on the 10 list or I'm not going after somebody on, on his, his right. 10 list. Right. But, I mean, I'm going to have to do research and find out this person. It just seems it's like it's such an incredible long shot. It's like a cold call as far as I'm concerned. I'm sending something to somebody I don't know who doesn't know me. And more often than not, people in this industry have years of history with their current attorneys, mm -hmm. and they have loyalty. Um, and it, it's just, it just seems like, it's almost like banging my head against the wall trying, trying to go that route. I, 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 mean, I, I think it, it may work good in, in sales. I, I'm not so sure that that's, that's necessarily no, I, no, I get it. I get it. And you, uh, you could very well, in eight out of the ten cases, you could very well be banging your head against the wall. I, I'll, um, the best way for me to answer your question is to ask you have you have you ever gotten a client because they had a current uh, attorney and that attorney wasn't available or did something in the moment that aggravated them or didn't work in a specific area and they came across you and they said well let me let me give this guy a shot has that ever happened yeah so what I would argue to your, and all your points are fair, and I can't, 
I can't refute any of them because all of that, it, it's true. It, it will happen. That's All of that is true. But what you're doing is you're positioning yourself so that if the conditions exist where they are ready and willing and able to make a change, at least you're in the conversation. At least you will be part of the discussion. If you don't do that, you have no shot. If you do that, at least you have some shot. Um, you know, I can't give you a guaranteed way that you could unseat someone who's, uh, who's a, you know, who's been a provider for 30 years. However, there will be work that those people can't do that may not be in your wheelhouse, but maybe in the wheelhouse of somebody in the firm that you could get in there. So, I mean, I look at it as the, the, way, that, the way that I set my mindset and the way that I, uh, I try to encourage my clients to set their minds uh, for this is you pick 10 companies that will eventually be your client. And if you're there enough with, with, with enough frequency and with enough value, then whether it's one year or 10 years, eventually it'll happen. That's the mindset that I that I have when I go after that. Everything you said is 100% true, and it, it it you know it won't happen tomorrow. It may not happen in six months. But if that list of ten is a consistent list of ten over time, you just you know I, the only way I can describe it is you got to have faith and you got to keep doing the work that you're looking to connect with people inside in order to in order to deliver value. You know, um, if you don't want to do that. That's fine, but then you got to come up with, a, with an alternative way to, to invest that, you know, 10 to 15% of your time that you believe will be more productive. And the reason that I say it that way is because if you, if you do something that you don't believe in, it's not going to be done with as much zeal as you would do it with some, some, you know, you would do it with something that you believe in. So I'm, I'm okay if you select another way to spend your 10 or 15% of the time because I don't want you doing kind of a half-hearted effort, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. You know what I mean? Well, I think it's, I mean, the concept is, but like, for example, mm -hmm. it's a nice mid-sized management firm. I don't think that we represent them, and I believe at the firm. Is yeah. Safe. I don't think there's a shot in hell to get in there. For for a specific type of work. For for anything real estate related. Yes. What about like tax stuff? What about like you know like if you could get in there if you could get in there some other way like if there was a way you could deliver value to them out even outside of the practice of law if you could connect them to someone that could help them with financing let's say right. Would they be looking to, you know, to help you in return? Stranger things have happened. I, you know, I, I'm just, I think to myself all the time, how can I provide value? And I think about it in as broad a way as possible in the context of the client's world. And then, for example, if I connect an affluent person to a trust and estates attorney, I don't make any money off of that. But... When I call that affluent person and I say, listen, I'm doing research for a book on family office management, they're going to connect me to 15 people that are not only valuable for my research, but those family office folks could become my clients down the road. So I look to provide value on as broad a scale as possible within the context of the client and then see what comes of that later on down the road. 
they may not unseat their current provider, but they may give you a matter that could be worth fifty or seventy-five thousand dollars to you at some point. I mean, that's to me, that's the perspective that I take.